0: Christian, if we haven't had a chance to meet, I guess I'll have to stay up here, um, and it's, it's good to be here, and um, if we haven't had a chance to meet, let me just tell you a little, a little factoid. I take a lot of photos. I checked earlier today, I checked this afternoon, I took some this morning, and uh, I checked, I think I have 42,693 photos on my phone. This, on Monday, um, on the holiday, I took my daughter and a friend of hers to New York City, and I started taking photos, and my, my daughter said to her friend, yeah, my dad takes a lot of photos. <laughs> but it's, it's a thing, yeah, I've probably ramped it up a little bit during these last couple of years because um, what I had heard was from some people that um, the, my photographs let people see um things that they're not able to go out and see either for mobility or because of the pandemic and i just wanted to find a way to share those and so um uh, one year ago i actually started making some cards out of my photographs and we actually have um, a picture of it that hopefully you can see here. And I made these cards and I, I make about 25 a month and I kind of write in them and I send them off to different people just as a way of kind of encouraging them and letting, letting people know that they are being thought of. And it's, it's just a little thing that I do, but it's a way that I've kind of been leaning into the idea that we have had for the sermon series that we're going through, which is Letters to Friends. And letters can be powerful things. I heard um, uh, a few years ago that actually college uh, football coaches were writing handwritten letters to those that they were trying to recruit as a way to distinguish the approach that a handwritten uh, letter it stands out and it, it, it expresses effort and concern and care. And so letters can do a lot of those different types of things, and we have heard about um, this already in our series. We've had two uh, sermons so far. If you haven't heard them, I really encourage you to go back and check them out. Um, We're going through 1 Thessalonians and looking at this encouraging letter, um, but but a letter that also addresses a variety of different issues that um, have kind of come up, and Paul speaks into those. And so we're going to look at the next section of that letter today, and the different parts actually followed a different kind of form, and while we might be out of practice of writing letters, letters were kind of a more formal thing back in the first century, um, and they actually would follow a pattern, and Paul takes that pattern and makes it uniquely his, and there are some features of his letters that you can generally see and it serves as almost an outline. You can see it here on the screen. Features of Paul's letters. It usually starts with like, I, Paul, write to you know the Church of Thessalonica or or wherever, Galatia, Ephesus. Then there's often prayers for the readers, answers to questions, uh, addresses certain issues, then things to believe, then things to do, and then the greetings often come at the end. And so these are some of the features, generally kind of an outline. We have dealt with the first two, and we're kind of dealing with three and four today. And I just wanted you to know that there's actually a pattern. There's something going on here as we read this epistle, or letter, and any of the other letters that are there. Things are at work, and there are unique characteristics about them. There, there's another quality to this letter, and spe- specifically this section that we're coming to, and that has to do with emotions. Paul has is known for being pretty heady, and he can give kind of nuanced and really kind of build lots of ideas, and then he'll kind of go off an idea, then he'll come back, and he keeps going, and he can really be like that, but in our section that we have here, his emotions are really kind of Uh, showing on his sleeve, and he is really expressing himself. When I read the passage here in just a second, he'll talk about having been orphaned. He missed the Thessalonian church so much he felt orphaned without them. He could have just merely said, I really miss you, or it's hard being apart from you, or he even could have said, like a father, I miss you, but he says he's orphaned. And he's really kind of dramatic. And it stands out because other letters do not often, of this time, do not usually emphasize the emotions so much. But you're going to hear that here. And so I encourage you to listen for the emotions. What's going on with Paul here? Because he's being very expressive and um, really wanting to connect and share his heart with that church that he only got to spend a few weeks with in he, when he set it up, so let us now turn to that passage. It, what we're reading today is First Thessalonians chapter two, verses seventeen through chapter three, uh, verse eight. Uh, listen for God's word for us. But brothers and sisters, when when we were orphaned by being separated from you for a short time, in person, not in thought. Out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you, for we wanted to come to you. Certainly I, Paul, did again and again, but Satan blocked our way. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. So when we could not stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. We sent Timothy, who is our brother and co-worker in God's service in spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you in faith so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. For you know quite well that we are destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted. And it turned out that way, as you well know. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid in some way that the tempter had tempted you and that our labors might have been in vain. But Timothy has just come now to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. He has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we long to see you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all, in all our distress and persecution we are encouraged about you because of your faith. For now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord, this is God's word for us. Let's turn to Him in prayer. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for maintaining it, keeping it, um, having it passed down through two thousand years. That we could read it tonight. That we could peer into this letter between Paul and um, the church and. Thessalonica, that we might hear you speaking through it to us by the power of your Holy Spirit. We ask that your Holy Spirit would be here and open it up to us here and now. We pray all of this in Jesus' name, amen. So there's an expression that's largely become cliche, but um, I think it still has some meaning. And it's that of the elephant in the room. And before we write off that phrase, the elephant in the room, I think it's helpful to think about what it's trying to convey. What's the idea there? And the idea of that expression um, is really that we need to address something that's incredibly obvious in our presence. That there's something there and we're trying to ignore it, but how can we deny it? It's staring us in the face and it needs to be addressed. And it, it often is keeping us from being reconciled and having a healthy relationship. It's something that we're avoiding and not wanting to deal with. Jesus has an uncanny ability to address the, the need, the elephants in the room. He did it in a variety of different ways. If you just read the Gospels, you can see it again and again. Jesus is just cutting through the situation and addressing it. Jesus does uh, he does ministry he performs a miracle or he speaks to someone and he can I, I, I don't know what it is I don't know if it's du- his divine intuition or he could just read a room it it could be it could be both and uh, it, But it re- Scripture tells us he knew there were people doubting there were people that just weren't buying it That that wanted to protest And Jesus sensed this and knew this and spoke into that situation. It was an elephant in the room and he went after it and he addressed it. And he encouraged the people to accept where they are standing and perhaps turn in faith. In other cases um, Jesus would address difficult situations staring everyone in the face. There was a time when the children were being kept from Jesus. The, The disciples and others were keeping them away. And Jesus called it out. He said no. And not only did he call it out, he actually had a child come and he said that all in the kingdom of God should have faith like a child. And so he cut through that. And when he went to the temple and he saw what was going on there, probably been happening for years, but the temple and its worship space was being abused by money changers, that there was finance and commerce going on in a worship space. Jesus dealt with that elephant in a huge way. This is where he's flipping over the tables and like, hey, I'm not having any of it. He even makes a whip. Jesus makes a whip. Uh, He makes a whip and makes it clear that this is not okay. Jesus calls out these things and um, addresses them. And Paul follows that example and addresses a, um, uh, the elephant in the room. It, it's a little bit hard to pick up, but, but Paul's almost, he, he, he's concerned, he's emotional, he's like, well, I have not given up wanting to be with you. I, Paul, have been apart from you, but, but in thought, no, I've always been thinking of you. And he's very emotional about this, and he's addressing why he hasn't been able to come back. And we heard in that earlier passage uh, in Acts 17 that Michael read for us that they had three weeks where he was preaching in the synagogue and helping um, people come to faith and recognize the gospel and um, become committed to Christ. But then it stirred things up, and Paul had to leave soon. And so soon. And the people long for him. And we have in later in the passage that Timothy has just come back. And I think this is part of also the report that they really miss him. And Paul misses them. And it's a strain in the relationship. They haven't been able to see together. It's, a, it's in some sense a friendship that's a long distance friendship. And that's hard. Long distance relationships are tough. And he addresses that and says he longs to connect And so he addresses that elephant in the room. And we, too, need to lean in to addressing the elephants in the room. Sometimes we have them in our homes. Sometimes we have them in our workplace. Sometimes we have them in our communities. And we need to stop ignoring them. They are there. Everyone knows it's there, but it's causing a disruption. But we need to lean in That we might be ministers of reconciliation. Jesus is a minister of reconciliation. He came to heal our relationship with God. And not just that, he came to heal our relationship with one another. And not just that, he left us with instructions. He left us with commands. At one point Jesus says, I give you a new command. Love one another. And he gave us lots of these one another's. It's it's worthy of a study um, of all the different one another's. Some of them, and there's more than 50, but some of them include love one another, welcome one another, be subject to one another, forgive one another, confess sin and pray for one another, serve one another, encourage one another, comfort one another, Bear one another's burdens. Stir up one another. And it goes on from there. That's just 10. Um, But if we are to lean into that, if we are to follow Paul's example, who's following Jesus' example all the more, all the greater, if we have Jesus as our Lord and Savior, as a minister of reconciliation, we too are called to be ministers of reconciliation. And address those difficulties, those things that are there. Don't let them linger. Don't allow a root of bitterness to fester in the midst of the relationship. Whether it's in a home or some other context, address it. Be a minister of reconciliation. And that's what I think Paul was trying to do here. He's like, I haven't forgotten you. I've wanted to come so very badly. And I recognize it's been a while, but I've been blocked. I've been blocked. And, and he, we don't have a whole lot of details, but he calls out here that he feels that what's been blocking him is really Satan. Um, and this might seem, sound strange to our ears these days in these post-Enlightenment times, that we would credit Satan for keeping him from traveling um, a-, a ways. But Paul doesn't do this all the time. Paul did recognize a spiritual uh, reality, spiritual beings, and he, as well as Jesus, Jesus confronted Satan, and they um, butted heads, and Jesus talked about Satan and demons and what they were trying to do and how Jesus was going to overpower that, and he addresses that, and that was a reality. And so Jesus and Paul aren't necessarily superstitious, and I don't think they see demons behind every single corner. But sometimes there is a reality, there's a malevolence, there's an evil. And in this case, Paul's discernment is that it was Satan. And Satan is really a name that means accuser. It's not not an actual name, it's a descriptor of what he does. But this this one that's this malevolent, this detractor, this one that butted heads with Jesus, that butted heads with Paul and his ministry, I think we need to realize that we too can face this. If Satan went after Jesus, went after Paul, why wouldn't he go after us? And I don't think we should necessarily see demons around every corner but we need to realize that there is a spiritual dimension to what is going on around us and to recognize that and be discerning and and taking it to God. And so um, Paul mentions that Satan has blocked him and he hasn't been able to come back. But there's this word of encouragement. Paul has faced persecution. He faced persecution in Thessalonica, right? Things got stirred up. It said the Jews were jealous, and they uh, arrested people, and they were demanding, and um, it got so bad that Paul knew he needed to move on. And he reminds them in our passage that he said, We taught you about this, and don't you remember that persecution would come? And there's a recognition in our passage that the Thessalonian church is facing persecution. And Paul, in his context, we think it's uh, Athens, um, uh, he is facing persecution. But both are holding fast. They're holding on to the faith in the face of this persecution that they knew would come. And they are encouraged. And there's a spirit of camaraderie in the midst of it that both are holding fast in the face of this. And as we look at this, passage and others, we can see that persecution was anticipated. That it, that it would come and it would most definitely come when the gospel was proclaimed. And when Paul had proclaimed the gospel there in Thessalonica, that is when persecution came. And we can anticipate that we Christians can experience that as well. We might have experienced it in some ways, perhaps more um oppression than full-on persecution we have been very blessed in america it's not perfect but we have been very blessed but persecution is a very real thing this past century more christians died for the christian faith than any century in the past it's very real thing and it continues on not just in that century but even today one ministry that I want to point you towards that if you're curious about this, uh, it, to help open up your eyes to the reality of it is something called Voice of the Martyrs. And they have websites and they have things and they, they not only tell the stories of right now people being persecuted, but they actually help them out in ways that they can say out loud and in some ways they cannot say out loud. But it's uh, a ministry worth checking out and I commend that to you. But persecution is a a reality. It was a reality for the Thessalonians, it was a reality for Paul, and it was a reality for Jesus himself. He experienced it. And so much so that he was put on a cross, a Roman cross for sedition. uh, For trying, he was accused of trying to set up his own government, and on that, at cross it said that he was the king of the Jews and what they meant for evil was revealing a truth that he is our king a a king that is transcendent not just worldly uh, but transcendent of all time and in the cosmos he is truly our king but he was persecuted for it he was beaten he was spit upon in, in a variety of different ways but he willingly laid down his life and faced the persecution. And in doing so, he overcame it. He laid down his life, but he took it back up. And he is now um, seated at the throne there with God the Father. And we too can enjoy that. And that is our hope. Persecution can come our way. And we realize that the way through it is Jesus' way. It's the only way that we can go through it. Last century, one of the people that died for their faith was Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And for a period of time, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a German who was standing up for the faith because the German church was very much turning away from the gospel of Christ and being corrupted by Nazism. And um, he was safe in New York City, but he felt called to go into the lions den to go back to Nazi-controlled Germany and continue to bear witness to the gospel and to run a secret seminary and to do the things that he could. And I I bring this up because I have a quote of his that I want to share with you and it, 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 it says this, if we refuse to take up a cross and submit to suffering and rejection at the hands of man, we forfeit our fellowship with Christ and have ceased to follow him. But if we lose our lives and his service and carry our cross, we shall find our lives again in the fellowship of the cross with Christ. To bear the cross proves to be the only way of triumphing over suffering. This is true for all who follow Christ because it was true for him was true for Christ and it's a challenge that we face and we might face more in the future it was a reality in that first century as Paul was talking with the Thessalonians as they were experiencing a sense of camaraderie um, and they were encouraged as they faced this Paul later in the letter to the Romans would say this Romans chapter 5 verse 3 and following he said We also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. And perseverance, character. And character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And so we have a hope that we can be transformed, that we don't just experience it, that it it refines us. Like gold in the furnace, the dross falls away, and we are refined and get to follow Jesus' way. It's a difficult way. It's a difficult way um, along the way, but it leads to the foot of the throne of God. And that's how we can um, survive suffering, survive persecution, is following Jesus, who was victorious. And it was victorious for us and invites us in the same way. It was encouragement for Paul. It was encouragement for the Thessalonians. And they sensed that camaraderie and that spirit in the midst of it all. And um, it encouraged Paul enough to continue in ministering and knew that one day when Jesus comes, that the faith and the perseverance of the Thessalonians would be the thing that he would be most proud of. Might we encourage one another, following Christ's example, that we would follow through as we face suffering, as we might face persecution as we deal with this, and might we um, be encouraged by one another, that we will be proud that as we invest in one another and lean into the transformation that, that Jesus has for us, that we will arrive there at the foot of the throne, ready to sing praises and glory to God please join me in prayer Lord you convict us at times your holy spirit moves and convicts us when we see difficulties around us when we're avoiding things you don't let you don't let them go thank goodness it's not everything all at once um, sometimes, but, it, but we are convicted to address things. It's not easy. It's not hard. It is a challenging path that you call us into. We are so thankful for your Holy Spirit to go along with us, to, to guide us, to encourage us, to strengthen us, to collaborate with, that we might live transformed lives, that we would become more and more like Jesus as we follow him and arrive at the foot of your throne. Be with us as we walk each step this day and the days ahead. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.